This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Greg Lambert, Chief Knowledge Services Officer at Jackson Walker, to talk about knowledge management in law. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. It's good to be here. Thanks. So at APQC, we've done a lot of research on ways to build buy-in for knowledge management. And what I think is so interesting about law is that the business case for KM seems especially obvious in this field. At least to me, it seems like in the world of law, if you you kind of have to do KM because if you don't, you're really not doing a very good job for your clients. And because of that, I suspect that KM teams at law firms might be doing some really cool stuff that KM professionals from other industries could benefit from hearing about. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Greg, to learn more about what you're doing at Jackson Walker. All right. So uh, let's start there. Can you give us a little overview of the KM program at Jackson Walker? Sure. And one of the things that it's kind of funny because you uh, typically you get these answers from lawyers and, and that is uh, every answer starts with it depends. And I think that that really kind of fits with knowledge management as well, just because every single law firm does it differently just because you have to adjust uh, to the personality of your firm. You have to know the, um, the willingness of the, uh, of the partners uh, to try new things or to change processes. And so uh, as, as a KM professional, you learn over time that you, that you have to be extremely flexible and you really need to find the, the type of pattern of results that work uh, for for your firm, and so here at, at Jackson Walker, um, it's it's really a, a unique way for us. So uh, we don't necessarily have a KM department like a lot of other firms do. We actually have it just kind of embedded into the overall processes, and that kind of bleeds between our technology group and our library or knowledge uh, services group, and that tends to focus in on what can be automated or what's what's going to be part of the technology, the databases, the things like that, uh, tend to go over to the uh, IT section. And then the things that are much more of the metadata, the setting things up, understanding what the best practices are, the processes, that goes over to our knowledge services uh, group. And, and so there's this nice balance that works very well for Jackson Walker of, of, of kind of separating it between the technology and then the human interaction part in the, in the process. Very cool. Is that how it's KM has always been at JW or is that, did it kind of evolve that way over time? I, I think it's kind of been that way. I've been here almost 10 years. And uh, so when I started, it was one of the things that we really worked on was to uh, look at the existing systems, which tended to be much more the technology based. And, and then uh, as I came in, we really looked at the process side, the human side of knowledge management and kind of beefed up that, that side of the house. So um, I, it's, it's definitely has shifted over the years to be much more of a blending between the, the two sides. 
That's very cool. And do those um, do those two sides of the house, the the technology side and the people services side, um, do they um, kind of get together? Um, do, do we or, get along? <laughs> do, do you get along, or are you on your own on your own tracks? <laughs> um, I think a lot of it, uh, the technology side, is one of those that uh, you really need to work on making sure that everything is set up. Uh, initially, and that as time goes on, that we're updating the the software, we're looking at the the databases, the structure, the normalized data, uh, to make sure that you know we're we're keeping up with the times, that any changes, any shifts um, are are made on that, and then we really kind of work more on the human side, um, on, on a day-to-day basis to make sure that people understand what's available to them, that the training is there, uh, for them, that they, they know, um, the resources that are there. So they're not constantly just recreating the same material over and over again. Um, which is really kind of the the primary reason for having a knowledge management system is so that you can build upon previous knowledge that has already developed w- within your firm. And so that's really what we focus in on the day-to-day. And then the technology is one of those things that uh, periodically we go back through just to make sure that we're staying up with the processes that in, in the technology. Now that makes sense. So I want to kind of dig in a little bit more to into those, you know, kind of people side problems. And you, you mentioned a little bit about recreating the same thing over and over again. So if you could tell me a little bit more about, you know, your kind of knowledge re- related goals and challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis and, and what you're doing to resolve those. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a, a lot of what we're looking at is to make sure again, that, that we're n- we're not wasting time um, that, you know, attorneys are not cheap and we want to make sure that our clients don't feel like, you know, that we are dragging our feet, that uh, we're spending so much time on the, the basics that we're not really leveraging what they're really hiring us to do. And that is to, look at the legal issues and make sure that we're advising them in in the best way to go forward rather than spending all of our time, you know, creating a document, creating a contract from scratch when we've already got uh, those contracts set up in a system ready to go and we can move from step one to step three. Um, And so that's, that's one of the things. And I think over, especially since like 2008, since the great uh, recession, that clients have demanded much more efficiency in in what we're what we're doing for them, the time that we're spending uh, for them, and I mean that comes down to some some clients don't pay for first or second year associate time, um, or they write off a lot of that time uh, if they feel like there's too much of it, and then internally we do the same thing if we feel like we're spending too much time on something. We'll write up, we'll write down that time and not charge the client. And so it, you know, it's we still bill by the hour. That's typically the um, the way large law firms work. But there's a, there's extra pressure on making sure that uh, that 
we're not wasting time and knowledge management and creating these processes uh, to build upon already created uh, knowledge and documents um, and, and materials uh, so that we're not wasting the, the client's time and, and wasting the client's money. Totally. So can you tell me a little bit more about where the where the responsibilities lie between KM versus, you know, the business, or you might even say individual attorneys in terms of the actual upkeep of all of this reusable stuff. So are folks in the business responsible for keeping these things up to date and making sure they're in a good format for them to be reused? Or is that something you help with? Well, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, one, it is, it's, uh, there's multiple processes along the way that law firms use these days. And, and probably the primary, um, the, the primary tool that you use is our document management system. So uh, you know, maybe uh, open, uh, open text or I'm sorry, not open text, uh, I manage. And then um, there's, there's another one that we don't use. But what that is, is, is basically a repository where all of the information, all of the documents and, to, and resources that are created by the firm are actually stored in a central repository uh, that allows us to take information that one attorney may have uh, created and then allowing other attorneys to use that as a template for their next project. And, and it also gives us the ability to kind of compare and contrast previous work because there might be something that we did on a, on a real estate deal that you know, may, may have been tenant uh, focused on one and it may have been landlord uh, focused on the other. And it allows us to com compare um, based on who our client is or um, uh, that allows us to look at the changes, you know, what the differences are based on who your client is. Um, so that it starts with that, with being able to everyone – follow the procedure to save the materials so that those materials can be reused. Uh, the nice thing about uh, a, a product like iManage is that uh, it's set up for the law firm environment. And so you can make sure that confidentiality, if, if material is supposed to be confidential, it stays confidential, um, that people who don't need to see certain things still won't see certain things. But then at the same time, if it's, if there's not those restrictions that it's available to mm -hmm. other attorneys at, at, at the firm to be able to reuse. And, uh, do you, do you have to do a lot of work to kind of push people to use these things and, and follow the right processes or they just kind of get it or. <laughs> it, it is definitely a learning process. Um, and, and part of it is that, you know, document management systems have been around for a, a long time. I've, I've been in, in the legal industry now for almost 25 years and in some shape or form, it, it's been there. Um, I manage that, that we use is probably the, the largest, um, uh, document management system out there. And, uh, both when I was at, uh, King and Spalding before, uh, starting in 2004 to now, uh, it's, it's been around. And so that, but at the same time, it's been a very slow, methodical process of, of getting attorneys to use that, to use it consistently, uh, to understand how to save the documents the proper way and making sure that the markup is correct. 
um, that they don't just uh, you know either dump it. Uh, save it onto their local system, which does no nobody any good, um, and then or to just dump it into a you know a, a, a generic file into the the DMS, uh, which again doesn't take advantage of the way that that it's structured. And the way that you really do that is by showing success by um, under. Uh, using examples of why it is that it's important to do so, but then also show what the advantages are for the individual attorney uh, by saving it this way. And if everyone saves it this way, here's the advantage that, that you have over time. And so it's a, it's a slow process, but I would say um, at this point, much more of the attorneys are following that process and in, in doing it than than those who are not. I feel like you set me up really well for my next question because I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been uh, involved with KM in law for almost a decade, I think, or, you know, well, maybe a little. <laughs> almost, almost two decades, I think. Almost two decades. All right. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, people really kind of getting on board with these these systems, but what are some other ways that you've seen the field evolve? Um, there's the technology has improved so greatly, and a, and a lot of that um, is there, there's really a, a couple of reasons. One is you're seeing a lot more uh, startups entrance into the uh, legal tech uh, field, and you're seeing some really creative ways of handling uh, information. Um, and so it could be either transactional, you know, contracts, uh, intellectual property issues, or it could even be litigation focused. And, and typically what, what those new entrants into the legal tech field are, are former attorneys who worked at large law firms who were really frustrated by the way mm -hmm. that they had to, to work day in, day out. And so many uh, of them just you know, decided – I, I don't want to practice anymore, but this was driving me crazy. I want to fix this piece. And so you're seeing a lot of really, uh, you know, uh, good experienced people coming in with really good ideas on the technology. The other uh, process that, that's really improving is just with cloud-based uh, systems they're, the processing power to be able to take large amounts of information and churn through that information and, and come back with really good uh, results using technology, that has made things like you know natural process, uh, natural language processing, or or artificial intelligence that, that you're hearing, um, uh, learning you know using it, the data to train. Uh, the computer systems, how to process uh, that and come back with more, much more relevant results um, has really improved the, the overall uh, process so that it gets you, you know, much further along into the, the stage of completing a document or handling a, a, a new legal issue uh, than you would, you know, e even five years ago. Just the amount of of processing power has made so many things available now that just weren't just again just a few years ago. Totally, and I'm I'm thinking about I and you'll have to forgive my ignorance because I don't totally understand exactly how this works, but I understand that there are some you know 
kind of advanced forms of automation that folks are using that replace some roles that, you know, legal professionals yep. did in a full-time capacity, like document review and yeah. things like that. Um, is that freaking people out? Do you think that's a bad thing? Good I, thing? I think, well, here, here's what I'm doing. And I'll use an example. Uh, there, there's a product um, and I think they're I think they're based out of Austin uh, called Legalmation, and the way that they started out was you could actually take a complaint that was filed uh, to the court, and this product, uh, uh, what you would do is just dump that complaint in, and it would actually come back with a with an answer to that complaint automatically, um, and that kind of freaks some people out. Um, but I think part of what freaked them out was you, you, there was this black box. So you put the document in and then it, it something came back and you had no idea what, right. what was going on in, in the background. Um, and so, uh, it, it's kind of funny because you're actually seeing larger law firms hiring human behavioralists, uh, to work with, with their attorneys and with their clients because, there's certain things that, that you can do with the technology or the way that you interact with people that can make them feel very uneasy for that. Even if it's a completely above board, you know, a very good process uh, or product, uh, it can still freak people out because we, we don't want, you know, just we, we don't want it to look like magic. We want to understand uh, what's going on. And so Legalmation actually on the next iteration uh, – put back in some more human interaction in that. And mm -hmm. so I think you're, you're, you'll see that a lot more um, with, you know, just helping people understand what's going on, giving them a little bit more flexibility or interaction uh, with the overall process. Because uh, I, I think this technology is just going to continue to improve, it, but it's going to take a while for us people to catch up with that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about is um, what skills and capabilities do you think, you know, today law firms most want KM teams to deliver? I think a lot of it is uh, they, they like people that have experience, not necessarily, you know, legal practice experience, but, but experience handling documents, uh, being able to understand uh, overall processes, uh, being able to go through and create checklist or some type of rules uh, along the the overall process. So um, I've we've always really looked for people who are creative that can look at a a, a current uh, process and be able to go. You know what? If we you know if we tweaked it on you know this end or this end you know we we could we could really improve the overall process and it's you know sometimes you need someone that can look at something in a in a unique way in order to make uh, the end result a, a, a lot better and it, and quite frankly can surprise you with what it is that uh, a process or a tool can actually do beyond you know what the creators <laughs> thought thought the tool can do are there any um, kind of hard to acquire, hard to find KM skills that, you know, because we, we've had folks on who, um, you know, uh, are running KM, you know, master's degree programs are involved with, you know, KM certifications and things like that. Um, any sort of skills that are hard to find now and you really wish you could 
could get them? Oh, um, well, I, you know, I, I grew up, uh, when I was a kid, you know, creating DOS based programs and, and, uh, you know, I had a, had an old Commodore, uh, I had a VIC 20 and a, and a Commodore 64 and, you know, was doing programming languages. You really, I don't think you need that type of skill anymore. What you need now is someone that can be adaptive to the tools that are out there um, can look at uh, the current playbook for the overall process on on the on the KM um, uh, the way the way that you want people to work with previously uh, created knowledge, um, and then you know be very creative with it. And so, um, you know, one one of the things I love about the uh, the education system in in the United States is, you know, it's I, I was a history major, right? And so I think that the way that the liberal arts uh, system works is it really makes you think. It makes you kind of look at the whole picture and then figure out, okay, if I tweak here, what does it, how does it play here? Um, and so I know that a lot of times we look for pure science folks, uh, STEM, pro, uh, you know, STEM graduates, which were pushing out more and more of. Um, but I think in knowledge management, it's, it's this kind of a, a blending. You, you've got the technology, but again, you've got the, the human side. And I think that one of the one of the challenges now is to really look at the overall process from the human side and apply the technology to that rather than looking at the technology side and forcing the humans to, to shift and adjust to, to that process. Totally. That is very much in need. We hear that a lot from our audience. Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about is what do you think is next for KM in law? What are some of the trends that you're seeing on the road ahead? Well, one of the biggest things that I'm seeing now are, um, well, when it comes to knowledge management, one of the issues that we have is that as much data as law firms create, it's really still a small amount compared to say, you know, Google or Amazon and what, what they do. And one of the things I'm seeing, sorry about that. And, and one of the things that I'm seeing that vendors are doing is creating APIs that allow for us to pull data or to, to merge large amounts of data from the vendors into our internal systems. And that's really, I think, going to be a big game changer. I, uh, again, if I would have asked uh, a vendor a few years ago, if we could have, a, have an API, you know, which is just a direct pipeline to their data, um, if they would do that, they, I would get an immediate no. And now all of a sudden, it, it seems that they're much more open to allowing uh, law firms and others to uh, get access, uh, to allow us to pull information in, to merge it on the fly. And I think it's just going to, you know, taking, you know, right now uh, the data would be much more static and, and now we've got much more active data. We mm -hmm. can, we can interact with it on the fly. Um, and I think just the opportunities for having that amount of data externally merging in with our internal data is just going to make things so much better. That's cool. Um, 
again, you got to forgive my ignorance. So what kind of data would you be talking about, I guess, in a, in like sort of the legal context? Well, a lot of it would be, uh, having, uh, direct access to say docket information for the courts. Um, so instead of us having to literally go out and manually look for court information or to download a batch uh, of court information and then upload that static information into our system and hope that we grab the right information. Uh, this would enable us to go directly, have that pipe directly to their information. Um, so as they change, we don't. there's nothing that we have to do uh, uh, to pull that information. The other would be uh, getting access to, say, comp company information. Um, and so for us, if we're looking at, say, business development, um, which, which is a little bit outside the KM realm, but um, is still an important uh, piece of what we, what law firms do every day because we, you know, we are a business. Um, and we could you know, look at competitors out there. We could look at our clients. We could see trends um, as they're happening. We can, we can look for changes uh, that, that are going on that – Normally, we wouldn't have direct access to, but if we have an API to, say, a, a business database, as that information gets updated on their end, it's automatically updated on our end, and we can monitor those changes and be much more uh, uh, flexible and, and more quick, quick to respond uh, to changes in the market and see those trends that are out there. So um, I think this the, the role of APIs uh, merging our internal uh, information with the external information is, is going to be a big game changer uh, over the next few years. Totally. Uh, just one geeky follow-up question on that, sure. if you don't mind. Um, just because we've been, you know, we've been hearing a lot of trends around data sharing agreements and things like that recently. So I'm curious, is this, uh, are these in general, you know, you don't have to give me any numbers are these things that are just an extra that you're now getting? Are you having to pay for these things? Well, uh, it, it's funny because on uh, my podcast today, my co-host uh, said, well, I want this. I want it to be easy. I, I want it to be simple and I want it to be free. Um, so <laughs> I was like, oh, you're not asking for much. But uh, <laughs> um, I think uh, that the vendors are are – wrapping their heads around it right now. There's a number of vendors that have this to where it's included in your, uh, if you have access to, to their database, the APIs are, or will be included with that. It's just, you know, it, it's not, it's just a different interface for them. It's not a different product. Right. However, there are also vendors out there that see this as, you know, one more thing to sell you. Yeah. Um, and so far, I, you know, obviously it, for us, uh, with this being really a, a new process for, I mean, APIs have been around forever, but the be, having an API with a large vendor, with a large data set that you can, that you can play with, it's going to take some time to understand. It's not something that you want to throw a, you know, boatload of money at right now because it is so new you want you and so you, i think for the vendors who make this part of your existing uh, uh subscription are going to fare much better than those that that tried to um look at this as a money maker totally yeah no totally agree 
Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Music